Hey guys, thanks for taking the drive down State Street. In today's episode, we welcome distribution manager for Red Bull, Dylan Bukite. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to State Street. Hey guys, this is Nick Kleitsch, the co-host of Voice, uh, and with me as always uh, are my good buds, Cole Szynski and Jeremy Machino. Uh, gentlemen, how are we doing? <laughs> Nick, we're doing good. Um, we had Dylan on, and Dylan's into action sports, and I think this is a, a great change of pace for what we've been doing. Dylan brings a whole new world to our, our listeners where he goes out and he sells Red Bull and he works with Red Bull, I should say. And I mean, this, the places he's been and the stuff he's done is just second to none. Yeah, he's, uh, so he is my cousin. Um, and he's a guy that, uh, I mentioned this in the episode too, but, uh, probably the most networked individual that I, that I know. Um, it seems that he has friends, uh, of friends in every single area and, uh, naturally through his gig with, with Red Bull, he's just met so many cool people. Um, and he tra- traveled and studied abroad and went to different places. And, uh, you'll sense in the episode that, uh, Dylan is definitely a thrill seeker, uh, when it comes to life and, uh, a more upbeat individual. Um, but yeah, so as far as the episode go, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was as cool to kind of broaden the, the spectrum for state street and our listeners now that we've had a, a couple of different folks on in different industry and uh, in our conversation, Dylan does a great job of articulating what's going on in the, the food and beverage industry and how that was affected by COVID and um, goes into some other stuff too. But uh, before we get going, uh, to all of my Red Bull drinkers, uh, I hope this episode gave you your wings on State Street. So here we go, guys. What's up, Dilly? Boys, how are we doing today? Doing good, doing good. I mean, we got a sounds like a pretty exciting interview to bring our uh, our listeners. So let's get into it. Yeah, you. I uh, was super pumped that you could come on, man. I know. Uh, I know we kind of rearrange rearrange some schedule, um, but it's great to have you on here. And uh, just for our listeners, this will definitely be uh, a conversation on the fun side. Uh, Dylan works for uh, for Red Bull, and we're going to get into a lot of the good stuff that he does there, and uh, some of the cool places he's traveled and whatnot. But uh, you were just up, uh, do, was it mountain bike riding up in uh, Minnesota? Yeah. So last weekend I was actually over in Wisconsin. So one of my buddies from college lives over in Oshkosh, which is like a five hour drive from Minneapolis. So they've got some trails over there. Um, went over for the weekend and just my roommate actually, both of us got mountain bikes, like right when COVID hit, it was kind of like, <laughs> took, uh, took Don- Donald Trump's, uh, COVID check and went to the bike store and picked up a new bike. So, I've uh, been getting pretty big into that there's actually surprisingly a lot of places around the twin cities to ride so it's more like hill biking than mountain biking i guess because there's not legit mountains but yeah then uh that's kind of been my new hobby during covid so we went over to wisconsin last weekend and tore up the trails for a couple of days that's awesome yeah so are you just uh finding these online or where do you find these courses yeah i mean a lot of a lot of google searches there's like you know the different pages like the mountain bike fanatics pages and the different um reddit threads and things like that so pretty much just doing that asking people that um ride where all the good spots are but so far there's like 10 different ones that we've hit and they're all pretty sweet 
And, uh, and those for uh, those of you that don't know, Minnesota, for some reason, has this weird affinity for biking, whether it's it's street just on the street or in the trails. But like even if you go downtown Minneapolis, you're bound to see at least 10 to 12 bikers just on the street whatsoever. It's it's pretty insane. So like hearing you take up mountain biking does not surprise me in the, in the slightest since you're living in Minnesota now. Yeah, it's definitely I've definitely noticed that since moving up here, like obviously not as much in the winter when I first moved up in January, but. I think I saw that it was like a top five biker city, biker friendly city in like the whole world. Like, it's oh, like yeah. Am- Amsterdam and like Portland and then like Minneapolis, which is kind of weird, but people definitely love their bikes being active, which I love too. It's not a bad thing. Kind of works out. Yeah. So you said it was uh, kind of a new guilty pleasure of yours. Um, is this something that you're going to plan on continuing to do? amongst other things or is it just kind of like just because we're in the summertime i would say i definitely want to stick with it like you get better and better as you continue to go out and like you can always upgrade the bikes too and start getting into the you know the more expensive stuff that's going to help you ride better so i mean yeah i definitely want to stick with it and hopefully which we can get into later but like i want to eventually live somewhere where there's mountains so maybe a little upgrade from the the hills that i currently Yeah, definitely, definitely a hobby I plan to stick with. It's like a good way to work out while also having fun. Like I'm not a big runner, I hate running. So, but <laughs> welcome to the club. Yeah, just as good of a workout, but you're having fun and it doesn't feel like you're working out. So, yeah, definitely plan to stick with it for sure. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I ever since us growing up, I mean, you were always on a bike, a dirt bike, uh, a regular bike, or, or even some skateboarding and uh, wakeboarding and all these really cool. Uh, I don't know. Would you call them extreme sports? I don't know if that's like the right terminology, but what would you call them? I would say like the, like the general public, that's what the, the extreme sports. <laughs> I think technically the, the phrase is action sports. Uh, like that would be that, that would be the classification as action sports. But yeah, okay. I, I don't know why, like how I got into it necessarily, but I've always like done the stick and ball sports too. Like grew up playing football and baseball and wrestling and everything, but for some reason, I always had an affinity for all the action sports, and honestly, probably back to like kindergarten, I've just been obsessed with like dirt bike. <laughs> Anything like adrenaline-wise, I've always been into, which nobody else in my family really is. Like, none of the other cousins are really into the action sports. My parents weren't, so I don't know where it came from. I probably saw it on TV when I was a kid, and actually, I think Rocket Power might have helped because that was my. <laughs> That was my favorite uh, cartoon growing up. I always wanted to be like, be like those guys. But yeah, yeah, that was an amazing show, and uh, I feel a little bit dated, Jeremy. Do you even know what Rocket League is? Um, I do. I uh, I was never <laughs> good at it. I think I played one or two times, and it was just uh, wasn't my thing to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey man, let's uh, let's crack right into uh, before we get to the childhood stuff. Let's crack right into what you've been doing at Red Bull. So, just kind of give us uh, from a high level your current role with them and um, what you've been liking and what you get to experience basically on a on a month in month out basis. Yeah, so my role with Red Bull, I am on our sales side of the business to start. So, just from like an overarching um, side of the company, it's the sales side. Specifically, it's on the on-premise sales side. Um, so basically, we break it up into on-premise and off-premise. And really, what that means, if you're not familiar with the like the beverage industry, is on-premise means you wherever you purchase the beverage, that's where you consume it. So think of like a restaurant. You go there and you purchase it to drink on the premises. 
And then off-premise would be like your gas stations or Walmarts and things like that where you buy it and then um, consume it later. So I'm on the on-premise sales team and I manage our food service distributors. Um, so basically I have three distributors with 10 different, I guess, operating companies across the heartland. Um, so it's seven states that I manage, 10 distributors. And basically my job is to train their sales reps how to sell our product to their accounts. Mm, and just, like, okay. and just like keep it top of mind. So um, the biggest one I have is Cisco food service. Um, so if you're like driving down the street, you'll see like a semi that says Cisco on the side of it. It's S-Y-S-C-O, not the, not the C-I-S-C-O, which is like, I think a tech company. But um, so Cisco food service is the biggest broadline food service distributor in the world. Um, so I basically just have to train their sales team how to sell our product, which during a time like this is definitely <laughs> the food service industry was the hardest hit industry, like outside of, I think the airlines, but food service was hit hardest during COVID because obviously all the restaurants had to close down and it's just like not a great time to, to be in the food service industry. So it's been interesting trying to, trying to navigate that um, with the current times that we're in and they're also going through a reorg. So it's like definitely hard to, Hard to get a hold of the people that I need to, but um, yeah. So I'm on the sales side right now. Uh, would eventually like to get over to the more of the athlete sports marketing side of the business, but I'm um, just kind of figuring out what that path looks like um, to eventually make that make that transition over there. But yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say, like uh, put in a comment about the food uh, service injury. Like, if you don't believe it, actually has been hit hard. I mean, we went out to a uh, a restaurant yesterday. And a normal twelve dollar plate. It's where it, my family usually goes to this restaurant quite a bit. And a normal twelve dollar plate was now seventeen dollars. And it's yeah. not like a, an upscale fancy restaurant. They're just they have to charge five bucks extra on every plate now just to uh, make ends meet. Right. Yeah. I noticed that actually the other day. I don't know if you've been to the Loop over in North Loop, um, but me and my buddy went. And we just grabbed a couple beers, and it was like I think it was like a Miller Lite, like just the you know the cheapest oh, yeah. crappy beer, and it was ten bucks. And we yeah, like, wow. We like got our bills and we're like, wait, why was it twenty bucks for two beers? But oh, yeah. goodness, yeah. <laughs> I, I went to a them. restaurant. Yeah. I went to a restaurant that was selling, I want to say, like eight buck um pints of just domestic on tap beers. And I was like, what the heck? Yeah, it's definitely brutal, especially after going to Wisconsin last week. And I think one of the one of the college bars was doing like three bucks for a shot and a pitcher of beer like, <laughs> wow insane deals then you come back to minneapolis and it's like 10 bucks for one beer but that's just how it goes and they have to charge those prices to make the margins so yeah so are you or how are you adapting to that as you look at your job now um, I mean, I'm sure there was probably a little bit more confusion you know, just ever, for everyone with COVID hitting and no one not really sure what the future is. But now that we've been in it a couple months, we have our footing down a little bit. The fog is kind of lifting per se. But um, how are you adapting with that? Are you having to use a lot of Zoom meetings or what are you guys doing? Yeah, so we went all virtual. Um, we actually just recently started using Microsoft Teams and it was like kind of right when COVID was starting. Um, so almost like perfect timing that they adapted <laughs> that they adapted Microsoft Teams. But yeah, so we have an office here in North Loop and it's been shut down the whole time. I think they actually announced that I think through October maybe, it might actually be the end of the year that we can't go back in the office. So it's been pretty much only work from home, um, which hasn't been honestly like that much of a change because within my role, 
I was work from home for the most part anyways, like outside of, you know, going out in the field and actually seeing my distributors, going into accounts, talking to account owners and things like that. It was not a job that I was going into an office every day. So I think it's more of a transition for a lot of people on the marketing side that were like used to going into an office every single day. And like that was kind of their routine. But I mean, it's been interesting. A lot of uh, a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of different Skype calls and just doing everything over, you know, virtual video conferences, which is interesting when it's like an industry where you kind of need to be out like in the market. Like, <laughs> like just it's more of an interactive um, side of the business. So that's been interesting but is what it is right yeah and i think that this event of covid along with a lot of other stuff has forced people to change whether they wanted to or not um and so we just for our the the other portion of this podcast we talk a lot about about self-improvement and uh, how to adapt and, and be a leader and uh et cetera et cetera so it's it's good to know that you guys are adapting and doing some of those things um, cause no one was planning for it. That's for sure. Um, but you travel a lot and you, you do that both personally and for the business. So what are some of the places that you've been and, uh, some of the top that you like to go to? Yeah, I was going to bring that up too. So that's been interesting as well as when it comes to work since I've managed seven States and it's, you know, across St. Louis, Kansas city, the Dakotas, um, Omaha, Nebraska, obviously Iowa and then Minnesota. I was traveling like on a weekly basis before COVID, like meeting with distributors in person and things like that. And now it's like kind of driving me crazy because I always <laughs> like when I'm in an airport, I'm in my happy place because even if I'm just going on a work trip, like for a meeting, I'm just excited to be in an airport because I like traveling so much. But um, yeah, I was kind of doing that all over the place. So that's been the biggest adjustment, I would say, is not <laughs> not living out of a suitcase. Um, which is nice to a certain extent, but I also miss the traveling parts. But I mean, yeah, I've kind of been to a lot of different places. Um, studied abroad in Australia when I was like 21. So back in 2016, um, lived there for like, I think it was five months. Um, and my most recent big trip that I went on was Peru. Um, so mm. I was down there back in October, did the whole Machu Picchu and hiking the Inca Trail and all that kind of stuff. So. That was uh that was pretty exciting. Still haven't been over to like Europe. I haven't done any of the I guess mainstream like going to, <laughs> going to Spain or Italy or any of that stuff, um, which is definitely on the bucket list. But crossed off Australia, which is the farthest away place, so um, got that taken care of. But yeah, I have a lot of places I want to see, and um, that's just kind of the lifestyle that I like to live. I think it helps, <laughs> especially like with all the stuff going on right now with like the way that America is like people just kind of they have like the way they grew up and they think that that's almost like the only lens or perspective. But I think when you travel, it helps just kind of open up and like understand where other people are coming from, which I think a lot more people need to do. Oh, that's great that you bring that up, man. Let's, uh, let's take that a step further. So, um, with you, uh, leading the charge and understanding some of these different perspectives and cultures, what have you learned that you could share with our listeners about perspective change? And, um, I'm, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm super excited that you brought that up. Cause I think it is very important. And, uh, especially me coming from a small town, I, I realized the other half of it, which is that there's people that have been here for 40 years and their, their kids are going <laughs> to be here for another 40. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just going, going to a little bit further depth there. 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say there's like one specific like, oh, this is like a finding that I, you know, learned from from traveling. I think it's just you just see like what else is out there and you see like different ways that people live their lives. Um, Obviously, like especially with the politics, like you realize that (laughs) America is just kind of a crazy place when it comes to politics. Like when I was studying in Australia. I think they talked about Donald Trump more than like people in America. Like it was, <laughs> you're American. Like, what are your thoughts on Donald Trump? Um, that was like all they cared about. But I think it just helps you like appreciate and be, you know, you realize everybody's different. Everybody comes from different backgrounds, and it it just helps you be more, I guess, empathetic to to certain situations. Yeah. Can yeah. We. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jer. Yeah. I mean, so I have a, a Canadian friend, and like when the election was going on, literally every time she'd hit me up. Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. And I'm like, chill out. Yeah. There's other things to talk about here. I know it's yeah. a it's a it's a hot button button issue, but yeah, it definitely seems like uh everyone wants to figure out what's going on in, in America with, with Donald Trump when he's uh when he's got the reins. Yeah, it's very interesting how the United States like kinda is always on the news no matter where you go. It's like they're playing American news channels in other countries which is pretty wild but it's true yeah that is pretty wild and um it goes to show that uh as as fun and a crazy place as we are we uh i would say we probably take it for granted quite a bit um in our day-to-day lifestyles and i'm sure you can certainly speak on that um i want to to go and you had mentioned your your trip to um gosh how could i um, why am i drawing a blank on it puerto rico is that what you said yeah, Peru. Oh, Peru. Yeah, there, there we go. How was that? What, what did you enjoy most about that trip and going hiking? And I can only imagine the sightseeing was just insane. Yeah, definitely. Like, it's funny. Peru wasn't actually on my like travel destination bucket list. Uh, one of my buddies, like two summers ago, just randomly was like, "Yo, we should go to Peru next year." And I was like, "You know, I haven't really thought about that." Um, did some research on it. And was like, "Holy shit, this is." awesome like machu picchu is there they've got like rainbow mountain and it's just like from a physical like sightseeing it's probably one of the best countries out there which i don't think a lot of people even realize that but i mean seeing machu picchu in person was probably the most incredible thing i've ever seen like you just that's awesome you're hiking for like hours and hours through the mountains and then all of a sudden you like come around this corner and it's just like a giant city built (laughs) And it's like they built it back in, I can't remember what year, like obviously a long time ago and everything, they built it without tools. Like they didn't obviously didn't have any sort of technology back when they built it, but it's like, it almost looks like everything was cut with a laser. It's like perfectly like there's all the angles are perfect. It's, it's just incredible. Yeah. That's uh that's somewhere when you posted some of that stuff on your social media, I was just taken away by the natural beauty and some of the natural wonders over there. And I was like, man, uh, we definitely need to, in the coming years, get a, a family trip or I want to go with you at least, uh, to, to Peru. Cause I feel like that would just be a, a great trip. And, um, so let's, let's keep the ball rolling on that. So are there any other things that you've, uh, experienced on the personal side? I, I believe you went to LA for a little bit, didn't you? Yeah, I've been to LA quite a few times. I'm actually going to San Diego on Thursday next week. So taking that the long Labor Day weekend and getting out of Minneapolis since we have a curfew <laughs> you now. But uh, a lot of craziness. But yeah, I've been to LA quite a few times. That's where our North American headquarters is at for Red Bull. Um so it's in Santa Monica. So we've been out there a couple of times for on the work side of stuff. And then I have some friends that live there too that 
I've visited quite a few times, but yeah, if you guys haven't been to LA, it's an interesting place for sure. There's quite a, quite a lot going on there. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I know with, uh, with Minneapolis, it, it's been uh, the talk of the, the conversation um, just for some of the um, things going on. Uh, we'll try to stay on the general side there, but yeah, I've, I've heard LA is uh, just so many people and um, very, very wild and, and interesting lifestyles. But uh, let's let's take with that travel and talking on the personal and professional side. So let's jump back. So how do you get the job at Red Bull? And like, what are some of the, the prerequisites to getting to where you are now? Yeah, so definitely it was through networking. Um, so they have a program, it's called their like student brand manager or student um, basically ambassadors on camp on college campuses. Um, so they had one at the University of Iowa and they pretty much every like big D1 school will have a, they call them SBM, so student brand managers for Red Bull. And basically that job is to just like promote Red Bull on campus. So you're, you're kind of like the, the face of Red Bull on campus, whether it's different student organizations or like parties or um, just doing like marketing hacks on campus, I guess, just to kind of keep the brand relevant to that consumer base, which is one of our biggest consumer bases, obviously, is the collegiate um, study. So I didn't get the job. I, interest, interestingly enough, um, I met the SBM when I was studying abroad down in Australia. Um, so he was the campus ambassador down there and he invited me, became pretty good friends with him. And he actually invited me to a couple of the different Red Bull events that they had down there. And I was like, man, this is a pretty sick gig. Um, looked it up and it was actually opening up at University of Iowa. So the job was open and this was my junior year, second semester. So I was actually going into my senior year. Um, so I applied for the job and they actually got back to me and were like, Hey, like looked at your resume. It looks great. Like, I think you'd be a good fit for this role, but since you're a senior, we can't hire you. Mm, they, really, they want whoever has that role. They want that person to have it for multiple years just so you can, so they're not constantly like refilling the position every year. They typically want to hire a freshman or sophomore. And then that person is the SBM on that campus for, you know, two to three years minimum. Um, so I didn't get the job. Um, started working at Enterprise after I graduated. So they have like the management training program. It's honestly a pretty good program, but you know, working in the rental car industry, not, <laughs> not really what I wanted to be doing with my life. Um, but yeah, so the first five months post-graduation, I worked at Enterprise. And then funny enough, the girl that was the manager for that college job, so the hiring manager that told me she can't hire me, um, we just stayed connected on, I think it was LinkedIn, actually. And she had, had my, she got my cell phone number um, just from kind of going back and forth and chatting with her about different stuff. And she reached out and was like, hey, I don't know what you're doing, like what you're up to. But she was living in Des Moines at the time. Um, she's like, this new job at Red Bull just opened up. It's called a food service um, customer specialist. And I was like, I don't know what that even means. But <laughs> Sign I, me up. Yeah, if there's a role open, like I'm definitely interested. So I sent her my resume and she like sent me the job link that was posted on the on the Red Bull job board. Ended up applying for it and then like two weeks later did three interviews and got hired so it was kind of luck i wasn't even necessarily like still looking for jobs with red bull but this connection that i made happened to reach out to me and was like you know hey this job's open if you're interested like i'll put you in touch with the hiring manager so 
there I mean, was I that. think I think that was like one of the first episodes we talked about the awkward what six months out of college and and weak ties and I, that definitely comes into play right there, doesn't it? Hundred percent, absolutely, yeah, definitely. It's definitely one of those companies where what I've learned is it's a lot about who you know. Like getting in initially is you're either you were part of that college ambassador program or you already know somebody that works full time at the company. But yeah, it's interesting how just like being decent at networking can eventually lead to, you know, more opportunities. Yeah, that's something that they don't. Well, I mean, they tell you that in college, but you don't necessarily know like what it means, I guess, like in in that environment. But then when you get into the working world and uh, I would I would go as far as saying like who, you know, is probably. Uh, the most important thing in building relationships, especially if you're in businesses and sales, because the the reception to whatever you're trying to accomplish is just so much easier when you know someone or at least <clears throat> get pointed in the right direction anyway. So that's great to know that you went through that process and you had those relationships and uh, it worked out as it is or as it did. Um, Talk to this point just a little bit for our listeners. So when you didn't know exactly what the role itself entailed, what, um, and I don't know if it necessarily is this huge, uh, courageous leap per se, but um, what what was the feelings? Was there a little bit of an uncomfortable nature to it or, or how did you approach kind of figuring that out on the fly? So it was interesting. It was actually a new position to Red Bull as well. So I was like the first one of the first, I think there was five of us hired at the same time in, in the Midwest region. And we were like the first five that had that role at the company ever. Um, so oh my was, gosh. that like definitely helped out because we were almost like the <laughs> redheaded stepchilds of, of the company. Like nobody knew, like even within the organization, like what food service. They're like, who are these like <laughs> food service customer specialists? Like people would ask you at meetings, like, oh, what's your role? And you'd tell them and they're like, I have no idea what that is. Uh, so, so that was kind of cool. We were almost like spearheading a whole new program. And honestly, like we were big parts of kind of shaping what it is today. Um, so that was cool. But as far as, you know, taking that leap of faith, I was not worried about it whatsoever because I knew that I wanted to work for Red Bull. Like that was mm. like you would have asked me, honestly, when I was 10 years old, like, hey, what company do you want to work for when you get older? I would have said Red Bull when I was 10 years old. Like I've just always been obsessed with them as a brand just from the different um, you know, all the action sports stuff and the different cool athlete projects and things like that. So I was just stoked to have an opportunity to work for Red Bull, like even if it wasn't necessarily the exact job that I would have thought I would be doing with them. Like I was just super stoked to to get within the company. Yeah, because when we were growing up, uh, if you would have shared that with me in high school, I would have been like, yep, that's right where Dilly needs to be because he loves just getting out and um, doing those action sports. And uh, I think from the outside looking in, I mean, I, I sense that you're in the spot that you need to be. You're with the people you you know and really like hanging out with. And uh, like you said, the lifestyle is, is right up your alley because for me personally, I don't know if I would I would like that much travel, um, just because I'm I'm kind of a homebody that way, and I like to go to a a physical location. But uh, I think secretly deep down, I wish I did at least some go to some of these cities and uh, different countries and explore. And uh, that was very intriguing when we were wanting to bring you on. I just was curious to know all the cool places that you've been and uh, how you live that lifestyle. Um, so. Let's go way back to childhood. So when is your first taste of uh, motocross or biking or wakeboarding? Like what was the first 
Uh, and what were you drawn to right away by any of those action sports? You know what? I was actually thinking about that on my car ride back this afternoon from the lake. I don't exactly know like what my first, I guess, experience with the action sports was. I just remember I would always get like probably in maybe like third grade, second, third grade. I subscribed to this magazine called it was Trans World, um, Trans World MX, Trans World Motocross. And I would always get them like every month in the mail. Like <laughs> I was like so stoked to get this magazine. And this was before I even like ever even owned a dirt bike. I was just always like when I would see it on TV, I was just like fascinated by it. Um, and I don't know what it was necessarily about it. I think it was just dudes like putting their bodies on the line just to like win an event or win a race. I always thought that was badass. Um, so I've just kind of always been into it. And then I finally, my dad like randomly showed up with a couple dirt bikes, one for <laughs> One for Brady and one for me. Uh, I think it was in fourth grade, and then I mean, from there it was I was hooked. So I've always, yeah, just been into like BMX, motocross, wakeboarding, like anything where I can like throw myself upside down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that adrenaline, adrenaline junkie, absolutely fits your profile right away. And um, I, I was glad to know that you were getting into the snowboarding aspect because I was a downhill skier and still ski quite a bit. And I, I love that sport a ton. And I know you love snowboarding as well. Uh, but it was some of the other ones that like when you're hopping on the the dirt bike or wakeboarding or doing some of the other stuff, it was like, oh my gosh, like you got to be cut from a certain cloth, I feel. Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially like the dudes that make it, like all the guys in the X Games, like those guys are absolutely absolutely nutty they're they're definitely not all there i think there's something <laughs> the wiring's a little messed up in their heads because they're on another level for sure they ain't afraid to get hurt once in a while it looks like exactly which i somehow over the years like i've never broken a bone which is same yeah I mean, i'm not like out there doing the craziest stuff like i'm above average at like all those sports but i'm not an expert at any of them like Obviously, I'm I'm working for Red Bull. I'm not sponsored by Red Bull, but <laughs> that would have been the ultimate dream for sure. Heck yeah! Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, the future here towards the end of the conversation. So, what I know that you've been into or been to Minneapolis um, for the X Games. Uh, talk about some of your experiences watching a Travis Pastrana. Uh, or uh, other industry just studs perform some of the the car racing and the dirt bike tricks and skateboarding and whatnot and uh, talk just a, bit, a little bit on that because I think it is cool yeah I mean you definitely like seeing it on tv is one thing it's like it's badass on tv but then when you see it in person and like how big those jumps are and like how you know how gnarly these guys actually are it's just it's insane like you just have that much more respect for them seeing it in person and like just kind of hanging out with those dudes and seeing how chill they are about it it's like they're, they're just like hanging out then five minutes later they're like hanging upside down off an 85 foot you know metal ramp <laughs> on a dirt bike um it's just it's pretty wild um one of my buddies is actually a big air skater and he's actually who i'm going to visit next week in san diego and funny enough he lives at travis pastrana's house out there so i think i'll uh maybe get to hang with travis while i'm out there next week which wow. i'm super super stoked for it. no big couple, deal yeah met him a couple times but um it's different when you're like you know in their house like just kind of hanging out away, <laughs> away from all the cameras and you get like the real version of of them but yeah i mean if you've never like been to any sort of like skateboard competition or motocross race seeing it in person's pretty uh 
pretty incredible. Yeah, I I would agree. It's one of those things that when you go in person, it just amplifies everything, and it's so great. I I'm kind of kicking myself. I don't I don't know why I haven't been to more of them because it's not like that. I I dislike the action sports uh, world at all. I'm I'm very fascinated by it, but I just have never found myself going to like a a big air competition or um, being out in Aspen when in the winter time when they're doing their um, the X Games out there, right? Yeah. Yep. Aspen. Yeah, that that place is incredible, and the you can almost feel the energy. I mean, there was when we went on a trip out there one time just to to skate, or excuse me, to ski as friends. We saw some people. Um, you were out there actually, um, and then we were saw, seeing people go off those humongous jumps, and I'm just like, oh my gosh! Like I love skiing, but I'm not about to like throw myself in the air like that. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I've done that one time, and I I I can cuss myself pretty good. So the the massive ski jumps are no longer for me. Yeah, it's funny. I've like, you know, I've hit all the big jumps and stuff. And like I was saying earlier, I've never broken a bone and I've never really even got hurt. The one time I did get hurt was this past year. I was on Breckenridge and I wasn't doing anything cool. I was literally just riding down the hill like on, on a normal hill, no jumps or anything. And I was like not really paying attention. I was trying to like record myself with my phone going super fast. And just like caught an edge and separated my shoulder. Oof. So never got hurt doing something cool, but <laughs> sure enough, you get hurt when you're just <laughs> going yeah. down the mountain. But if anybody asks, I'm like, tell them, you know, I'm just going for a double backflip. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit on um, your, now that we're here uh, on future aspirations. So, what do you think would be the next move up within Red Bull? Um, and then let's talk about like dream job um, location and, and what you'd be doing for them. So uh, what do you think is in the foreseeable future for you? Are you going to stay in the, the role that you're in or are you going to try to get on um, the marketing side at all? Yeah. So <laughs> funny enough, just had this conversation with my boss um, during like a mid-year review a couple weeks back, but I'm still trying to like navigate that for sure. Um, Red Bull is very interesting in kind of the way it's not like a perfect um, vertical for any job. Like you kind of create your own pathway of like where you want to get. Um, so it's not like I would get promoted into a specific job next. That's not the way the company works. Um, you just, like I said, you you figure out where you want to end up and then you have to figure out like, okay, this role would make sense to like get experience for that role. Um, and you just sort of like have to navigate through it that way. And it's a lot, a lot about like the different connections you make within the company, like the other business units, the other regions, just sort of like figuring out what opportunities are available. Um, but I think for the foreseeable future, I'll stick on the sales side of the business just because that's what I've been doing for three years. And that's like what I really understand. Um, so not sure like exactly what that next role will be. I've only been in this current role for. I think nine or 10 months having us yeah, back in October. So about 10 months. Um, gotcha. So I'll probably be here for at least another year mm-hmm. um, living in Minneapolis in this current role. But eventually, like you asked about dream job, it would be to be an athlete marketing manager for Red Bull. Um, so they're mm. guys that basically they sign athletes to ride for Red Bull and then they manage a portfolio of athletes. And that's, you know, helping out with um, their contracts. Um, doing sort of like athlete projects like when we sent the dude up to space um back in like 2012 like the red bull stratus yeah 
uh, thing and be doing stuff like that. So it's just like bringing our athletes' ideas to life um, in the form of marketing was like super badass. And like, that's why I wanted to work for Red Bull in the first place. So it's also very competitive though. Like, mm. I think that's like any sports marketing major in college, like who do you want to work for? It's Red Bull is like, I would say top five for all of them. Um, just because we do have such a good like marketing um, presence that's it's definitely a, a competitive role. Like it's not like, oh, you already work for Red Bull. Like it'll be easy to get into an athlete marketing role. It's a lot of people, like a lot of our athlete marketing managers that we have working for Red Bull were former athletes, like pro mm. athletes. So it's, yes, I would like to get to that role. <laughs> I, I already know it's going to be challenging. Like it's very, very, very competitive um, to get into a role like that. Cause there's, you know, they're few and far between. Yeah. I feel like, uh, being able to continue down the path that you've been on with networking, building relationships. I'm sure that all helps, but boy, if you, if you bring in someone for that role and they're, or a prior athlete, I mean, it's, it's pretty hard to pass up that, that his, his or hers connection and all the great experience and exposure they have, and just to turn right around and label them, uh, and give them that role. It probably makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, they've, had they've had their own athlete managers like managing them so they know like what to do and what not to do would you uh would you do that for a specific um sport or how does that work no so it's it's more it used to be like more i guess sport focused but now the way they do it is it's regionally based so let's say if you're the athlete marketing manager for the for the rockies region based in denver you would manage primarily like skiers, snowboarders, winter sports athletes, just because that's what's out there, like mountain biking and stuff. Um, we have a guy here that's based in Minneapolis that manages like an off-road truck racer and mm-hmm. a snowmobiler. So it's kind of just relevant to what the region has as far as talent. But it's not it's not like we just have a skateboard guy. We just have a motocross guy. It's one athlete manager would have varying sports that they manage they could have you know six different sports that their athletes are competing in gotcha <clears throat> so what is uh what is minneapolis uh primarily known for is that is that skate skateboarding and, and dirt bike or what's minneapolis i mean i would say the action sports scene here is honestly pretty good as far as like putting out professional athletes in the action sports scene i don't know how great it is we did pr- produce one of the best ever Lindsay vaughn downhill racer so she's cool. actually She's on Buck Hill. Buck Hill right down the road. Um, so that's, I mean, as far as Red Bull athletes and Olympic level athletes from action sports, like she's one of the best ever um, out of Minneapolis. But I don't know if we're necessarily known for one thing or another. Gotcha. Pretty wide variety. A lot of water sports, obviously. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I did not know. And so I, when I asked that question, it was more so out of curiosity. I did, you know, because you had labeled um denver and the mountains and it's it's pretty much a given out there i would say <laughs> that you're gonna yeah, be covering yeah. a lot of x games and winter sports <laughs> yeah. you got southern california is all the skateboarders for sure um very good so who um and i know your friend your friend works for is it rockstar or yeah my buddy sam works for rockstar yeah, he. Uh, I wanted to give him a shout out on here on this episode because uh, I've gotten to know him a little bit. He's a cool dude. So, uh, how much do you uh, bump heads with with outside competition, and and who are some of the people that you're running into the most? As far as just competitive brands. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we don't like to talk about them because there's, you know, there's no point. You only got to talk about number one. <laughs> but no, there's a we we compete pretty heavily with Monster when it comes like to if you're looking at just sales data, it's like us two, and then like everybody else is honestly like distant third. Um, so it's pretty much Red Bull and Monster like have like eighty percent of the market share. Wow. And then, then it drops significantly down before you start talking about number three. So, um, it's especially in the on-premise, like in the business that I'm working in, we have, you don't really see like monster and rockstar at bars. So it's, we, from a competitive landscape, that's more so on the off-premise side. Like when you start looking at shelf space and gas stations and stuff, that's where the competition really comes in. Yeah. I- you bring up two good points. I mean, when you go to a bar and, and you want something that energizes you, what do you get? A vodka Red Bull. Like, you exactly. don't get a vodka monster. You don't get a vodka rock star. That just sounds <laughs> weird. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's not. It's RBVs for, for a reason. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, when you walk into a, a gas station, it's Red Bull monster or some off-brand, basically. Like Right, yeah. You'll see, like, some of the brands will have, like, one or two shelves, but it's definitely, like, if you start counting how many shelves and that's what they honestly measure it off of. Like that's what those types of sales guys um, get graded off of is they're trying to increase the shelf average um, because that obviously the more shelves you have, the more visibility you have. And that's kind of what people, it's an impulse purchase a lot of times. So whatever they see the most is what they're going to be gravitated towards. Yeah. I got a buddy who works in medicine. Dude just slams Red Bulls. Like his life is Red Bull. Love it, dude. Yeah, when I was more on the street side of the business, like out actually calling on accounts, my biggest ones were hospitals for sure. Because you oh, got yeah. the doctors and nurses overnight shifts, just crushing energy drinks. Yeah, like, <laughs> growing up with him, I never saw him drink like an energy drink hardly ever. And he's like, "Yeah, I just have like a Red Bull every shift." Now I'm like, "Geez, yeah, <laughs> wild." Yeah. Well, Red Bull has really developed nicely. I think that I remember to even the original can design that they have, and now. Uh, they seem to just have every flavor, and they're always coming out with new stuff. Uh, my personal favorite is the the coconut berry, I believe. Is, is oh, yeah, that... the, the white can. Yeah, I I really enjoy that. I'm not sure how much you can talk on that, but like, what's do you have anything coming down the pike as far as like actual new designs or anything? Yeah, there's a new flavor coming out. Um, you'll see it in November. Um, it'll be like a limited limited time winter edition can't say the flavor but it'll be it's gonna be a good one <laughs> sweet, it's sweet actually, it'll also be a white can oh perfect yeah i love the the switch over and, and how they redesigned the can they're they're really cool and uh you when you see those out anywhere you know it's red bull um and, and now that we're talking about it it's kind of occurring more in my mind how often you see red bull and i know i drink them quite regularly and uh whenever we visit you dill you always had them on stock so <laughs> it was great to be able to to try some new flavors when when you had them yeah i uh i actually remember my first time because it's so iconic the new the cans my first time ever seeing the the new red bull cans was at crashed ice in st paul in like 20 probably 14 or 2015 and i just vividly remember like a dramatic change from the old original can to this new blue and red and yellow can. I was like, what's going on here? And like the new flavors were just, I was like, wow, this is, I need more of this now. <laughs> yeah, they definitely, uh, what Red Bull does very good is maintain a premium image. Like you, you won't see our logo like slapped around. Like if you go to a Red Bull event, like Crashed Ice, for instance, in St. Paul, 
you're not going to like see the Red Bull logo blasted over everything. Like that's just not the way we don't like spit our, spit our logo on everything. Um, whereas like a monster for instance, will like, they actually just pay for the rights of like sponsoring an event. They'll just put their logo as many oh, yeah. places as possible. Whereas um, Red Bull doesn't do that. Like you can't buy Red Bull um, like hats and clothing, for instance, like whereas for the other brands you can, they just want to like, really make sure that the people that are representing the brand are like the right people. Um, so you won't actually like it. I can't even wear the Red Bull logo. Like unless it's one of these like signature series hats, I can't wear the logo. It's only for athletes, which is interesting. Yeah, that is, I, I guess I never even knew that that was how they approached it. It makes, it makes sense. And, um, it's cool to compare the two, you know, Red Bull to monster and, uh, look at the beverage industry. And that was the other reason, uh, Dill, we wanted you to come on is cause you're, you're, uh, adding to our width of folks that we've talked to, uh, Jeremy's friend that came on was in the, the hospitality, um, not hospitality, I'm sorry, medical. The, <laughs> the, the medical field. And I was great to learn his perspective. And then uh, one of my high school buddies is into uh, conservation management a lot. And then so when uh, we were thinking about bringing on you, it was like, oh, this is great. He's into all these action sports. He's seen a lot of cool things. So um, thank you for for coming on first off. And uh, it's been great just to get an insight on your day to day and how the world ticks from the food and beverage. Um, kind of flipping back to when we are starting out the conversation. So are there any changes that you see within that actual industry, food and beverage for the future? Cause I know a lot of companies are doing uh, alcohol sales where you can take a, a margarita, for example, and take it home or uh, they're dining or having a lot more takeout and, and with COVID. So do you think that's going to be a future thing or what are you seeing in the actual industry itself? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely going to be a lot of changes. Like, I don't think the restaurant industry will ever be like it was pre-COVID. I think they're just learning that a lot of, like, honestly, just from, like, a sanitary standpoint, like, maybe they weren't doing everything that they should have been before <laughs> before COVID. So I think, like, honestly, they'll just be a lot cleaner and you'll feel better going to places. But I think a lot of it's going to switch to the more, like, mobile. Like, you notice the QR codes when you go out like where you scan a QR code and it actually pulls up the menu versus like the restaurant actually wasting money to print menus every week mm -hmm. and like people so they can put their hands all over them. Um, so I think a lot of like the online ordering platforms, I've even noticed like restaurants, there's one next door to me that you order online at your table and they just like bring the food out to you versus having a waiter um, come out, which is going to save them a ton of money from just, you know, a salary standpoint, like, not having to pay as many people um, to work the shift. Um, and I think too, like limiting, limiting the amount of touch points, like physical touch points, um, for instance, like fountain sodas, like where you go up and, you know, fill up your pop. I think a lot of that's going to start going away because people won't feel comfortable, like touching stuff that other people have touched. Um, so I think that'll be an interesting one, but like we were talking about earlier, the prices too, like, unfortunately I think are going to stay higher than, what they were pre-COVID just so these restaurants can, you know, stay afloat with the amount of money they're making. But yeah, it's been not great overall for what we've seen been going on. Yeah. It's that they were going to get hit the worst. And, uh, I think that they're, 
or at least hope that the the federal um, has enough money or grants or or any type of loan forgiveness for those guys to keep them alive because there's a lot of mom and pop shops that do a really nice job of making soups and sandwiches and and making really good tasting food compared to you know McDonald's, Hardee's, etc. Is there a a pretty good uh, variety in Minneapolis as far as different restaurants and and whatnot that you can go to? I mean, how's that layout? Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of stuff, and I'm not familiar with everything because I've only been up here for a couple months, and everything's been <laughs> kind of closed down for <laughs> half the time I've lived here. But like, especially in the North Loop where I live, it's like it's the warehouse district. Um, but there's a lot of like sweet, nice restaurants and bars in the area that are all walkable from my apartment. Um, lots of great sushi spots. But yeah, definitely a, definitely a good foodie city, I would say. <laughs> and yeah, Jeremy, no, you can probably you can probably add to that too. Have but. you uh have you had any um food truck experiences yet? I haven't yet. Um there was actually one parked outside of my apartment last week and they were like giving us discounts, but I was actually I wasn't around for the night. But no, I have not had any food trucks. I shouldn't say that. I've I've had a food truck at one of the breweries. Yep. They'll go around and bring the food oh, truck. Oh, they're always at the breweries. I can't remember what it was. I, I want to say it was like a pizza food truck, but yeah, whenever we go out to like, um, I've been inside a couple times. It's a it's a pretty medium sized brewery, I would say. And I've been to Summit for our, our listeners that have heard of Summit. It's a pretty big brewery out in Saint, like between Minneapolis, St. Paul, and like every week they'll bring in food trucks and like it's like a cause they can't make food. I don't think they can make food inside the brewery itself. So like a lot of these food trucks will attach themselves to the brewery and it's, it's a, like a mutual, mutually beneficial relationship for both these, both these uh, companies basically. Yeah, definitely. I'll, so I have to ask you, what's your favorite brewery in the city? I, I really enjoy Insight. Like Insight was like top hands down best brewery I've been to so far. I haven't, I want to go out to Surly. I haven't gone out to Surly yet, but. Yeah. So is Insight the one that's in Northeast? I believe so. Yeah. I think I was there about a month ago. I think that's that's actually where the food truck was at Insight because I think right across the street's like a taco restaurant or like a Mexican restaurant. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Yeah, Insight's a good spot for sure. They have a big patio area. Yeah, we we usually try to hit it up three four times a year, and right. just I mean, yeah, it's it's not too expensive, but I mean, any brewery is still gonna set you back a little bit, but yeah, I, I enjoy it. Hey guys, just wanted to let you know we teamed up with our guys over at Driftless. You guys may have heard Clayton Lieb come on the podcast and do an interview with us. Well, we got a promo code going on with them. Type in State Street at checkout and you get 10% off your entire cart. Get things like the hats, the hoodies, the t-shirts, the stickers. The hoodies and the tees, you guys, let me tell you, they're some of the softest clothes you'll ever wear. They look great on men and women. They got a new women's line coming out very, very soon. Guys, go get some of these tees, hoodies. The hat's got great designs, and the stickers will look good on water bottles and laptops. Well, to all of our uh, all of our Red Bull drinking fans on State Street, uh, I am glad that your wings, so to speak, are are open and and spread wide out. Um, thank you, Dill, so much for uh, for coming on. And we got one more thing here, and then we'll go ahead and wrap it up and and get out. But um, you have been skydiving and it's something that I'm very jealous of and I am a thrill seeker myself, but I don't know if I have the courage to jump out of an airplane at 10,000 feet. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about that a little bit and how cool that was. 
Yeah, well, the thing about that is you don't need the courage because you're strapped to someone, so you have no choice. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Once you get up there, you're uh, you're at the will of somebody else. There's no uh, no staying in the plane at that point. But yeah, I actually got to go. I've only been once, and I would really like to go again here soon. I was actually just weirdly looking up skydiving um, options out in San Diego for next week and may try to make that happen while I'm out there. But the one time that I did go was when I was studying abroad in Australia. And we did it over the Great Barrier Reef, which is just oh. super badass. So we like took off the runway was like right next to the beach. And then we, you know, you go up and you can just see like everything. Um, so that was definitely an awesome experience. I think the coolest part, honestly, was when you're like next in line, just seeing other people jump out because they just like disappear. It's pretty wild. <laughs> they just kind of get up right on the edge and then they just disappear like super quick. Oh, so like when you're in the plane? Yeah, when you're in the plane, like, because I think we went with probably a group of like maybe 10 of us and each one was strapped to another person. But yeah, so they just kind of line you up. You're almost like they're kind of sitting right in front of you, like almost in your lap. And then you just kind of go. Oh um, my gosh. Just one by one. But yeah, there's no like warning almost. You're just like, all right, you're up. And then they just kind of roll you out. Like it just happens super quick. You don't really have time to like kind of sit there and prep for it. But yeah, it was, if you guys haven't been, you should definitely add it to your bucket list. It's uh, it's probably not a shock that they do that. So people might hold on to the emergency bar or something like that as they're they're nervous uh, when they jump off. But um, so when you're actually jumping or rolling out or however they approach that, is it like a crazy like first couple of seconds you're falling, you're falling, and then you you flatline a little bit, or what's the actual uh, experience like? Yeah, I mean, I think I blacked out like just from the the adrenaline rush like i don't really remember the like looking so you like come out and you just like accelerate super quick obviously but you don't like almost feel like you're falling because you i think you hit that i can't remember what it's called but it's like almost feels like you're floating it's like the certain g-force level where it's you don't actually feel like you're approaching the earth it almost just feels like you're like in a wind tunnel with like the wind actually coming up at you um but yeah i don't really remember like the first minute which is the actual free fall um, the coolest part was after that, when they pull the chute, you're just like floating around like, Oh really? They, they can almost like, based on like how they do the parachute, like you're just kind of like flying around, but you're like not moving very quick. So you're just like totally floating. And that's like, I think seven minutes worth of after the initial minute fall, you're like floating up there for like seven minutes, which that is my favorite part for sure. But yeah, I, because of the adrenaline, I like don't remember like even the initial descent part. <laughs> yeah, I I can't even imagine the having to to go out there and like that very first fall and like the first ten seconds of it where you're literally like just hurling to the earth. <laughs> I just had wondered at one point it, it went from just terrifying to just actually really peaceful. There's been a couple other people like celebrities that uh, have talked about it and they're like, yeah, it's so peaceful once you get to that point and you're uh, you're just floating in the air basically. But I didn't know if if uh, you had to basically muscle through that first couple of minutes uh, to get to that point or, or how the experience is as a whole. Yeah. I mean, it's probably different for everybody, but I'm like not afraid of heights and I wasn't at all nervous. I was like super just pumped up for it. So I was, I was excited. Like either way, I wasn't, there was no like fear going through my mind about it. That's awesome. And I, I also think that that speaks to, uh, to your just a uh, adrenaline uh, desiring mindset. <laughs> yeah. So, 
Um, but yeah, man, no, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on. I, I wanted to thank you, um, for your time. And, uh, it's great to know that Jeremy and you actually have a lot more in common just due to physical location and, uh, your experience up in Minneapolis. Um, I'll kick it over to Jared quick here though, so he can get his intro or as uh, thank you. in. Yeah, man, it's been great to have you on. I mean, it's been a great change of pace. I think, uh, between you and our last guests, it's definitely, I mean, it's been great to have someone on that's in action sports and, you know, someone that isn't. Uh, there's not many people that are actually in action sports so having you come on has been i mean like i said a great change of pace but guys if you like the episode please go ahead and give us five stars like and subscribe it means a ton to us if you want to follow us on social media you can hit us up on instagram it is state street pod twitter is at state street pod and facebook is state street podcast Awesome, man. Well, hey, Dill, if you would, if you want, you can uh, plug your social media too, just so they can check out if you have like a work page or anything that you're trying to promote or um, I'll kind of leave the ball in your court for you. Yeah. First off, appreciate you boys uh, having me on the podcast. It was my first ever podcast episode. Hey, so there we go. A change of pace for myself as well. And it's always refreshing just having a deeper conversation with some some cool dudes and jeremy will definitely have to grab a beer sometime since you're only 30 minutes away from me but but yeah you guys can find me i don't have a twitter but the instagram is dilbert underscore 26 so that's d-y-l-b-e-r-t underscore 26 awesome yeah guys uh i would recommend checking out uh some of his stuff uh just because uh, if you're someone that likes sightseeing and someone that just likes a, a variety of, of life, uh, Dill is probably one of the most networked people that I know. He always seems to have a friend everywhere we go, <laughs> uh, and he always is uh, seeming to be traveling. And uh, I'm hoping that as a family, we've kind of talked about this a handful of times, but uh, we need to make a trip over to Europe just so we can touch them all and, and broaden the stroke uh, from that standpoint. Yeah, definitely uh, get a cousin's trip going. That would be pretty sweet. Oh yeah, and just to let you guys know, Dylan is my cousin, by the way. <laughs> so <laughs> now that we did, now that we got that out there, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if you guys gathered that uh, throughout the episode, but that was a nice little surprise. But uh, to all the folks uh, here on State Street, thank you so much, and uh, until next time, guys.